Hello and welcome to the Touchdown Review Podcast, part of the touchdown.co.uk. I'm your host Paul Mannering, better known as Mains, and I will be your host throughout this NFL and college season, where weekly we'll be doing a show discussing and reviewing all the action from last week in the NFL and college with some of the great writers from the touchdown.co.uk. Looking forward to doing the show and hoping you guys are going to enjoy it. Each week, We'll get multiple people on to talk about what they believe were the biggest stories of the previous week and help us look forward to the week ahead. So without further ado, let's get on with the show and get our first writer on board. And joining us now on the Touchdown Review, I've got Tayyip Babu, fantastic writer for the touchdown.co.uk and someone who is even more northern than I am. Tayyip, how are we today? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. I don't even have northern. I just sound more northern than yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, last last week, let's get straight into it. Last week, you wrote a great. Well, this week actually, sorry, you wrote a great article um, for four things to keep an eye on for NFL Week One, and two of them jumped out at me because they were big stories in Week One. So, on your article, you talked about would the Sam Donald revenge redemption story start for real and I guess the question is do you think it did Um, I think it did in as much that like he got the win so he got that kind of monkey off his back because if he had lost to the Jets and looked bad in it then everyone would have kind of already been criticising him and kind of jumping on him I think the fact that he just did enough to help the Panthers off and just kind of stay on schedule and score enough points and get the win more importantly um, was enough and I think he can just kind of settle in now and start to actually become the quarterback that they want him to be. Do, do, you, do you expect him and Joe Brady to, to, to gel more? As you said, it was more of a case of, if, if I'm honest, I, I'm not 100% sure, although the Jets are absolutely terrible. If there was probably yeah. a worse, a worse um, team to play for Sam Darnold, just given the fact that that additional pressure of going back to the team and, and trying to prove prove doubters wrong. So do you think it's the only way is up for Darnold based on what happened this week? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think just getting that win and kind of putting some demons to rest against the Jets will just help his confidence a lot and it'll, it'll settle people down in Carolina that were like, oh, I'm not sure that signing Sam Darnold is the right move. So I think it just kind of gives him a platform now to actually work with. I think the biggest thing for him is McCaffrey's back and McCaffrey was so good. So he's got better weapons and he's got a better offensive coordinator. So I do think we'll see like a gradual improvement in his play. Yeah, as you said, I think, you know, if you're a quarterback and you're nervous and you're playing your first game, there's not many better players to have on your on your team in the backfield, especially than Christian McCaffrey. I've read a, I read a stat this week that in a, in a fantasy sense, he's had eight, when he's played it eight consecutive weeks of twenty plus points PPR. Yeah, the guy is unbelievable. He is. He's he's so good, and I think one of the things that kind of frustrated me as a fan watching the Panthers last year was obviously him going down was such a big miss for that offense. Bridgewater, you think he's back? Terrace Marshall Jr., the rookie they drafted. Looks like a very good prospect. Robbie Anderson had a good chemistry with Donald already. It does feel like this is an offense that should get better as the season goes on. Fantastic, fantastic. Moving on, um, as some people will be aware, I'm a Washington fan, so I had the privilege of watching your next guy to keep an eye on, and that was Justin Herbert, who I thought was absolutely spectacular. Um, not only is he one to watch for week one, he could be one to watch for multiple years to come as an elite quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think you see about week one games going to face in Washington defense is about as tough as it gets. Um, And obviously they've spent kind of big resources to build that offensive line in front of him. But just his poise, like playing kind of what was a tricky atmosphere against a team that want to make it a dogfight. He just stayed so calm, didn't make mistakes, didn't beat himself, and I think he gave his, cha- his team a chance to win the game in the end. I think it was it was a level of maturity 
you wouldn't necessarily see from second-year quarterbacks. Like, compare it with Josh Allen, we never really saw that in Josh Allen's second year. Herbert already kind of feels ahead of the curve in that sense. Yeah, o- unbelievable performance by Herbert. I think it's something ridiculous, like 13 for 16 on third down um, in the fourth yeah. quarter. He was third and 16 inside his own red zone and threw an absolute strike to Keenan Allen. Although, again, much like we were talking with Donald and McCaffrey, it helps when you got players of the talent of Keenan Allen there. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I think, do you think that this could be a year where Los Angeles Chargers are playoff bound? It's tough to say. I suppose with the seventh, the extra seed, or the extra playoff spot in the NFL now with years, it feels like I should say yes. I still have slight concerns about the defense, just how will Staley adjust to having a unit that isn't Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey dominated. But in terms of offensively, I do think they were exciting last year and Herbert was brilliant on third downs last year, like insanely good on third downs. If he can carry that on, then they're going to be right in the mix for kind of a 10-11 win season and right on the bubble in the AFC. I think for those who are unaware, uh, this week the LA Chargers play the Dallas Cowboys. Now, technically it's in at home for LA, but it won't be because I would assume 80% of the fans will be yeah. from will be Dallas Cowboys fans but yeah. if you if you like betting the over if you like picking fantasy players try and get as many players as humanly possible involved in that kind of game because that could be an absolute shootout yeah it's got all the hallmarks of being a real kind of whoever gets the ball last is going to win type of game it, it should be a good one Dak looked very good, not great yet, but look good coming back from such a big injury and her, but I just feel like he's just going to get better. Fantastic, Tabe. One question, what's the, what's, what are we looking forward to in week two and can you give us a bit of a preview of next week's article? Yeah, um, it kind of stems a little bit from what was we saw in Monday Night Football and that was the Ravens. I know I said, touched on them last week again, but they play the Chiefs this weekend and and obviously it's such a big game because everyone thinks these are going to be two powerhouse teams in the AFC. Baltimore have historically struggled against Kansas City because they love to blitz and leave their corners one-on-one with Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or whoever else that the Chiefs have in their receiver lineup. To me, it's a huge game for Baltimore because starting 0-2 with all the injuries they've had is just the wrong way to start, particularly in that division. Absolutely, another big game in week two, and uh, yeah. if you want to catch Taibi, we'll be writing about it as a preview for the Touchdowns.co.uk. Until then, Taibin, hopefully next week, we'll speak to you later. Yeah, spot on, Paul. Thanks for having us. And joining us now, we have the brilliant Callum Squires from the Touchdowns.co.uk. Callum, how are we today? Very good, thanks, Paul. Nice to nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to uh, to jump on and talk about uh, an exciting week one, basically. Yes, and an exciting week one, which you've already reviewed. NFL review week one on the Touchdowns.co.uk. So, based on your article, Callum, I think the best place to start is Callum Murray. A absolutely wonderful performance on Sunday, and I guess the MVP P train starts here. Yeah, very much so. Um, I've been kind of a big fan of Kyla and the Cardinals for a while now. I've been banging the drum for them in the offseason, um, talking about how I think that they are probably the most underrated team in the league and, you know, led by Kyla Murray in that in that aspect. Um, he was ridiculous on Sunday. Um, it is a played out term to say that, you know, a player is a video game player. But with Kyla, there really isn't another way to describe him, um, even more than the Lamar Jacksons of this league and, and other players who, who get that tag the play that everyone's talking about where he runs right, runs left, scrambles back, scrambles forward, and then hits Rondale Moore 20 yards down the field for a, for a, a nice gain is there's not another player in the league who can make that play. And when those plays are going for Kyler and for Arizona, they're very hard to stop. And that's why, uh, you know, the MVP talk starts in earnest. Now, I think we've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Um, I think the Titans were very off color uh, on Sunday and they, I don't think they're going to be that bad again for a while with how Vrabel coaches them uh, and the big thing with, with Kyler and the Cardinals is going to be consistency you've seen repeatedly over the last couple of years that he can do incredible things the the Hale Murray comes to mind as one moment from last year but they finished the season 8-8 eight and eight. And so uh, it's going to be producing it 
um, on an extended kind of time frame. But I, I don't see any reason why he can't do that with the talent they've got around him in Arizona. But I guess the, I guess the, the two things that people w- would query on that, which is which is what you what you brought up in the article. One is is the Cliff Kingsbury. Um, is he is he a, a coach worthy of getting? enough wins for a player like Callum Murray to get the MVP and then there's the unbelievable performance of the NFC West itself which was 4-0 and if it could have been more it would have been uh, absolutely dominant performances by all four so you know the, the Arizona Cardinals could win 11 games and come fourth in this division yeah they could and that's, and that is kind of the beast that is the NFC West as you point out now I will say with my chest, I don't think they will come forth in this division. Um, and I will say that I think as dominant as they were for the majority of the game, I do think there is something to be said about the 49ers letting the Lions come back and be close mm. at the end of that game. Um, I, I, I'm not going to go overboard, but there's there's an element of that to me that suggests that you know they, they still have some growing to do as well uh, as a team. Now, the Seahawks have been together for a long time. The Rams, obviously, McVeigh and Stafford looked electric on Sunday night. But there is the criticism of, you know, first year quarterback and head coach partnerships. Does it always work long term? So we'll have to see with the Rams. But I I, I genuinely think that talent wise, the Cardinals are capable of going toe to toe or beating any of those other three teams. Now, Kingsbury is an interesting one. I I tend to think that he's more often than not got exciting offensive ideas and I think that he brings a lot to the table. Now, can he manage a game the way the Belichicks of this league can? No. Um, but you've got to learn from somewhere and you've got to start from the basis that you're at. And I, I do think that Kingsbury and the Cardinals will have a far superior season this year than last year. And I, I really do think they will be a playoff team. Speaking of teams that were underestimated at the start of the season, who put on a dazzling performance in week one, that moves us over to the New Orleans Saints. And mostly... Uh-huh. To Jameis Winston, um, <laughs> could you believe what you were seeing late Sunday in the UK with the performance of the New Orleans Saints? With the Saints, yes. With Jameis Winston, no. Now I say that because I think there's a distinction in that the New Orleans Saints. If you take Jameis Winston out of the picture, the New Orleans Saints are a very good football team. They have a lot of talent. Now they're missing Michael Thomas, and maybe that led some people to think that maybe they wouldn't have enough weapons. But this was a team that was relevant and made it to the playoffs and won a playoff game last year with Drew Brees unable to complete a pass more than 10 yards down the field. So these these guys are no mugs is what I'm trying to say. Sean Payton is a very, very, very talented head coach. And that defense has some players on it. You saw what Marshawn Lattimore was able to do. Um, I know he's suffered a little bit of an injury and is, I think, week to week now, which is a shame for them. Um, but no, I was I was very much of the opinion uh, at the start of the season, and it was uh, influenced in my uh, in my wages for the season that I thought the Saints <laughs> were being disrespected with a line of uh, eight point five wins. I thought I thought I can't see how this team with the talent they have, especially with a player like Alvin Kamara, could have a losing season. Um, now, Jameis himself, I mean, as a human, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, But as a quarterback, appears to have uh, figured it out somewhat. I mean, again, one week, not going to jump to conclusions. He managed to throw five touchdowns, which is unheard of for him. But the more impressive thing was the lack of interceptions. And that is really uh, what hampered Jameis severely in in Tampa Bay. If Jameis is able to not turn the ball over, the Saints can go a long way with that team. With him throwing it to the receivers that they have and relying on the quality of their defense. I mean, as you said, I think you know if we if we just talk James the James the player rather than James the James yeah. the human. Um, <laughs> I think you look at uh, over the last few years when Drew Brees has been out, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, uh, the Saints have been nine and two in those games, not including the yep. James one now. And although we can say what we want about Teddy and and Taysom, I think it's undoubted that James Winston's got more talent than that. Um, I think the question, as you quite rightly point out, is it won't be five touchdowns every week. The plan, the, the hope is, can it be less than you know two interceptions a week? If it is, as you said, given the talent of the Kamaras of this world and the fact that they, I think, will lean a lot more heavily than a lot of people did, that this team could be in for a really good season again under Sean Payton. Yeah, and I, I think I think you bring up the point of 
you know, I guess it's the touchdown to interception ratio, really. And obviously, he's got a 5 0 head start, if you like, in, in, the, in the touchdown column, which is a good place to be in. Um, I, I would say, you know, honestly, I, re- I reckon if, if, if Winston can go two to one touchdown to interception ratio, the Saints will be in business. The Saints will absolutely be in business if he throws 30 interceptions, sorry, 30 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. You know, that, that would do, I think, for the Saints to get through an NFC South where obviously the Buccaneers are the big threat. I, I actually think the Panthers are being undervalued as well um, overall, but I, I, I think the Falcons are awful. Um, and I think that, you know, as Ad, and I know you'll talk to uh, Thomas later on about the Falcons, but um, uh, yeah, I think, I think for sure the Saints with the talent they've got have got enough um, to push, maybe not into the playoffs, but to push it close if, if Jameis is able to, uh, to hold his head together. Um, not make silly off the field mistakes and not make silly on the field decisions the Saints will be just fine I'm going to give you some numbers just randomly they won't make any sense to you 11, 18, 17, 11 22, 14 19 they're the first six years of Drew Brees with Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints it's not like this man didn't throw he didn't throw interceptions toward the end of his career because he didn't throw it very far um, he only became an efficient quarterback towards the end of his career. Before that, they did throw interception in New Orleans. Yep. So it's not something that Sean Payton is un- unaccustomed to having to deal with. So, yeah, I think you're right. If he gets to that 2-1 to one ratio, um, New Orleans Saints could be in business and we could have a battle in the NFC South. Yeah, and, and you know, you bring up that. I mean, it's really interesting to hear those numbers for Breeze because... In a weird way, the Winston transition from Tampa Bay to New Orleans is a career reset for him. He's had an opportunity, whether he wanted it to to sit for a year or not, he's had an opportunity to have a Mahomes behind Alex Smith year mm-hmm. and learn what they're trying to do in New Orleans. Now, by no means do I think that Jameis Winston is anywhere near Patrick Mahomes. But so much of Mahomes' success is credited to he had a year to figure it out. He watched Alex Smith. He learned from him. And that let him fly when he got his feet, you know, wet at the end, at the start of the the following season. And perhaps that's what's going to happen with Jameis here. He had a year to learn under Sean Payton. Um, You know, he had a year to watch what was left of Drew Brees. And maybe that's going to make the difference in in giving Jameis a a fresh start here. I I, I honestly believe that he's got enough to, to compete with the Buccaneers in this division. Uh, final question, Callum. Uh, you write the weekly review, as you quite rightly pointed out. What do you think right now you'll be writing as your week two review headlines? Oof. Yeah, I mean, the, the most exciting game by far has to be the Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Um, and that is kind of off the back of last night's absolute nonsense ending in, in Vegas. I couldn't... I went to bed maybe half-time-ish because I just couldn't stay awake anymore um, and I was convinced that the Ravens were going to see that out with ease I couldn't believe that they found a way to lose that game uh, you know there were crazy things that happened um, and so now you know the Ravens are staring down the barrel of an 0-2 start because with all due respect to the Ravens they're not the Chiefs yeah. and the Chiefs are you know the real 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 deal um, I think I'll be writing about the Browns absolutely murdering the Houston Texans um, I think that will be very lopsided as as Cleveland roars back after what was a very impressive losing performance against Kansas City. Um, And I'm I'm really interested to see what happens between the Seahawks and the Titans. I I, I love Russell Wilson just generally, but he always seems to do this September Renaissance tour and then fade away from the MVP talk um, every season. But I I think, like you said, you know, it's hard not to talk about the NFC West repeatedly. Um, because they are so talented. And I, I really think that that matchup between the Titans, who've just had their asses handed to them uh, by Kyler Murray, and the Titans, uh, sorry, and the Seahawks, who, you know, just went into the Titans' rivals, the Colts, and got a win. Um, the Seahawks are trying to now go 2-0 and over the presumptive 1-2 and in the AFC South. So uh, those are probably the big ones that I'm, I'm going to have to watch out for. But as ever... I'm sure someone will do something stupid or something incredible and I'll uh, I'll be distracted by that as we uh, <laughs> as we go to the end of week two. Well, fantastic stuff, Callum. Uh, great to have you on the show and uh, we'll catch you again later on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Look forward to being back in the future. Appreciate you. 
And now let's change over to college and let's speak to my favourite draft analyst, one of the lead writers for the touchdown.co.uk and one of the many men who get some of the best guests in the business on the College Chaps podcast. It's Mr. Ollie Hodgkinson. How are we, Ollie? I'm not bad at all. Thank you very much for the uh, kind introduction. An absolute pleasure to be able to speak with you tonight. It's simple, really, my college question. I am a man who tries to watch some college, don't watch as much as you. Um, I first started watching college, I'll be honest, when Pete Carroll was the USC head coach. That team of Bush and Lionett and the and the rest was my was my team at the time. They were unbelievable. What the hell is going on at USC right now? Yeah, it's um, it's a far cry, very far cry from the USC team of uh, Pete Carroll's days, and obviously, hopefully, going to be changing it around with the uh, departure of Clay Helton. Um, yes, yeah, just yesterday, USC announced that they're uh, departing. Uh, parting ways with Clay, and I, I think it's it's probably a long time coming. We've been talking about Clay Helton as a guy on the hot seat for I don't know, probably three years now, right? So you look back at you mentioned Pete Carroll's time as the USC head coach, regular 11, 12, 13 win seasons, and then since Clay Helton took charge, he had a good start there, but man, they. Uh, They've not had a double-digit di- double win season since 2017. The 2018 season was the worst season in terms of overall record that USC have had uh, since 2000. You know, worst worst season they've had in the best part of 20 years. So it was clear that something needed to change with Clay Helton. A lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people questioning the timing of the departure of Clay Helton two games into a season. But a lot of people will say that it's three years too late. In in the way it goes with recruiting and the likes, it's very it's very I guess difficult to, to look forward. But how does losing someone like Clay Helton now impact that kind of recruiting window for I guess the players that we'll see and look in the in the NFL kind of thing in three years? Do, uh, will there be a number of decommits from that USC program? Or given the fact that as you quite rightly pointed out most people thought Clay Elton wasn't very good. Were those players just going to USC because they were USC? I think you look at, um, for the last couple of three years at least, where recruiting's concerned, it's been a, a sore subject for USC while Clay Elton's been at the, the, the helm, for want of a better word. He, um, he, they've routinely seen high-level local talent escape the program you know the best quarterbacks that there are in Southern California haven't come to USC and a lot of that has been attributed to Clay Helton so you look at the guy that's the interim um, head coach for now Dante Williams he's very well respected as a recruiter um, very respected uh, well respected by the players with inside the program at USC um, they had quite a big jump up in last year's um uh, recruiting rankings and a lot of that was put down to Dante Williams being a part of that staff so actually I think you look forward for USC um, certainly in the the short term Dante Williams is probably going to have a dramatic impact on um, the, the, the recruiting class certainly in the next couple of three or four months until they get a, a full time head coach in place but I think rather than be detrimental to USC's chances of recruiting, I think the departure of Clay Elton actually enhances their ability to to keep the talent that has escaped Southern California um, get it coming back to USC. Who do we expect to be the head coach of USC who are the main protagonists, main favourites for that for that role? I mean there's a big the big old list like there ever you know, there usually is when there's a, a high profile college footballing job come up and let's make no two bones about it. Whatever you think about Clay Helton's um, recent USC teams. This is still one of, if not the biggest jobs in college football. USC and Notre Dame, really, you look historically are the marquee program. So there's going to be a lot of names banded around. There's going to be a lot of interest in those, uh, in the position as well from from the, the leading college football coaches, from assistant coaches in the NFL. The jokes, obviously, of course, are being made about Urban Meyer. Um, you know the Jags, Jags beaten by the Texans at the weekend. Urban's, you know, is he going to jump ship at the end of the season and come back to US, uh, come back to college at, at, at the marquee program like USC? 
I wouldn't rule it out. I, I certainly wouldn't rule out Dante Williams getting a crack at the job full time as well, because historically, Clay Helton, he was a guy who was elevated from inside at USC. So the potential there for him to to make an interim hire become a full time hire is certainly there. But you look at the, the top names, you've got James Franklin at Penn State, you've got Matt Campbell at Iowa State, Bill O'Brien at offensive coordinator at Alabama and obviously the former Houston Texans head coach. He's a guy whose name's been banded around. Mario Cristobal just over the conference at Oregon. He's a guy who might get some interest. You know, he's still yet to sign a long-term deal at Oregon. Um, the guy that the guys that I look at potentially um, as certainly for USC has been the biggest potential high for them is um, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. You look at the job that he's done for the Bearcats. They're a, a team that are on the verge of being a, a Group of Five team that contends for the college football playoff. You know, he's a disciplinarian. He's got that team turned around into a, a team that is outperforming what they should be doing. So if you're a USC, you're looking at Luke Fickle and saying, that's a guy that we want to bring in. So a guy a guy who can whip the team into shape because they're a, they've been an ill-disciplined team under Clay Hilton in a lot of respects. So you think Luke Fickle could come in and he could provide that discipline. What I question is, if you're Luke Fickle, do you want to make that move? Or do you want to continue building what you're building at Cincinnati? Because he's got them to the Big 12. They're going to be a Big 12 team in two years' time. And there's nothing to stop them being a college football contender this year as well. So if he's still building that and he's not got them into the college football playoff, is that something he wants to give up what he's built there? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Let's move over to something a little bit, a little bit more light-hearted other than people's jobs. Um, I have a question. I have a question for you. If you were going to propose to your partner after the end of playing a college football game, would you have still done it if you were a, a Florida State Seminole and you'd just been beaten by Jacksonville State? All right, I've never proposed to anyone before in my life, so it's, I'm at a little disadvantage from an <laughs> organ, organizational standpoint. But I imagine, I imagine quite a lot. Quite a lot goes into that, um, the the planning of that, and I've, I've seen I've seen and read reports that a, a lot of um, a lot of family were there um, with the expectation that he would um, he was going to pop the question. That, so he wanted that family element to experience that, which you know, which is pretty cool. You know, you've got to you got to take advantage of those opportunities. Maybe it, it puts a bright spot on what was truly a terrifying and terrible. Um, end of the game for, for FSU in terms of how badly they um, <clears throat> how badly they defended that Hail Mary and obviously lost to Jacksonville State but it wasn't a good look for the guy with the, the, there's a lot of pictures knocking around with the Jacksonville State guys celebrating behind him while he's down on one knee and you kind of you got to you got to feel for the for the lad but they, she, I believe she said yes so I guess that's the end. if she would have said if she would have said no after uh, you know if given the context of it, it it may have been one of the worst moments ever I mean I assume he picked Jacksonville State because he was hoping that they'd win you know thirty five to seven not get beat on a hail mary in the final minute again you know these are the things that that you do it seems that you know for FSU it's a bit of a one step forward two steps back kind of idea you know. They are seem to be behind the other teams in in the state of Florida. Is there any way they're going to get back to those? I guess Bobby Bowden early two thousand days. Oh, it's difficult. It's difficult, and I think the problem with FSU is there is that level of expectation for the Seminoles, and and they played what was probably the best game of football that FSU have played against Notre Dame in the the season opener, first game back with full stands. The the euphoria of Mackenzie Milton making his debut for the team just, you know, after after all that that kid's been through. And I think what really that first game for FSU highlighted was just how bad Notre Dame are. Um, but it's there's a, there's a lot of work to do with that FSU programme. There's a lot of problems. and I, th- I think in Mike Norvell, they've got a guy who can and turn the programme around, but it's not going to be an easy overnight fix to get them back to the... Um, the winning ways that, that, that the fans of that program have been um, used to earlier on in this this decade. Okay, before we let you go, Ali, I've got a simple question. Us mere 
college um, curiosity people will be tuned in BT Sport Alabama versus Florida from the swamp I believe this week at half past eight UK time what if 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 I'm not watching that what other games should I be watching in college this week oh my god there's so many games so I, I've spent um, a little bit of time yesterday writing about games of the week and it's easy part of my job is identifying games which you've got um, NFL draft prospects galore but actually there's, there's so many intriguing games from a college football perspective you know you look at um, Coastal Carolina against Buffalo which isn't a, a headline game but a lot of people will will think oh you know what I'll watch that game but Jamie Chadwell's Coastal Carolina um, offence and the defence on that team is incredible Buffalo with Kevin Marks Jr. have got uh, another running back who will absolutely trample over defences so that, that's an intriguing matchup for me we mentioned Notre Dame Purdue against Notre Dame has um, got probably two of the best defensive players in the whole of the 2022 NFL draft in in Kyle Hamilton and George Kalaftis and an incredible wide receiver in David Bell USC at Washington State what a a game that is for Dante Williams to open up his head coaching career a trip to Pullman Um, Washington State who another program that have been up and down so that should be a good game man you could go on forever Fresno State and UCLA is probably a game that doesn't get a lot of buzz but Fresno State have been extremely impressive in both their first two games Jake Hayner is a guy I really like at quarterback and then obviously UCLA with that incredible offensive line and Zach Charbonnet having an just a magnificent start to his career away from Michigan, which makes my heart absolutely full because anyone that thrives outside of Michigan just proves what an absolute waste of a program that place is. Um, and then if you really if you really want to stay up, you really want a late night, Saturday night, Arizona State at BYU. I think it's a three o'clock, half past three kickoff. Again, another exciting clash for you. Classic Pac-12 after dark action there from Ollie. Ali, thanks a lot for your time and uh, speak to you again soon. No, thanks for having me. And now joining us, we have the brilliant Joe Valenzuela. Joe, how are we today? Not too bad, how are you? I am very good, I'm very good. Question for you, if you were a Cleveland Browns fan today, would you be happy or sad given the performance that your team put in on Sunday but still came out with the loss, which I believe makes it 17 straight week one losses. Yeah, I'm actually uh, actually from Texas and uh, West Texas, and most people where I'm from are big Cowboys fans, and now I actually live in Dallas. And I think us, you know, Cleveland fans and Cowboy fans, I think are in the same place where even though we have a loss to open the season, we are pretty comfortable with how, you know, we look. We, we played, I think, probably the best team in the league. If not, I think the Bucks are in you know, I think how I felt when I watched that playoff game last year, even when they had Chad Henney, I was nervous. I just didn't know if we had it. And this whole game, I, I felt like, you know, we are on par with these guys. It could be either one, but it was, you know, obviously you want to win that game and it feels like a little bit of a rivalry starting, but uh, I, I'm, I'm happy. I think obviously it's week one. We can be better at a lot of things, but we looked really good in a lot of areas as well. When when you look at it, especially given how the rest of the a- AFC North teams performed, even though Pittsburgh did win, they were um, not exactly spectacular on offense, although fantastic on defense. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ravens lost last night um, in crazy in crazy scenarios, and then yeah. Bengals put on a show. But you must be co- comfortable still that you will win the AFC North. Uh, you know, obviously, barring injury, I think that's the case. I don't know if you have any of the other three teams in the division, what that score would have looked like versus Kansas City. I, mm. I think they would have lost by at least double digits. And that's, I actually think we're in one of the probably top three divisions, but I, that's how good, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs are. I, it's, he's just proven. I mean, he hasn't lost in September yet. That's not a fluke. I guess, I guess the question, the question I've got on, on the Browns is, is, Will do you think OBJ be, being in the lineup? Say if we pl- if they play again in Kansas City against them would make the difference and and get them over the line, or do you just think even without OBJ they get that kind of additional confidence, the additional um, week weekly reps, and they be able to beat Kansas City? 
Yeah, I think it, that's a tough question because, you know, if you look at Odell and his time in New York, he's one of the best receivers in the league. And technically speaking, from an age standpoint, he's entering his prime. But obviously, his time in Cleveland hasn't gone according to plan. Um, that being said, when you have a player who's that good and, you know, that much of a freak, you, you always kind of hold out hope. Um, but Baker has played better without him. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I've, I've watched games at times I felt like he's forced a ball to him. And he just doesn't look like he does that to other players. Even Jarvis or, or Hooper, he doesn't. it doesn't feel like that. He's looking for an open guy. And I hope when OBJ comes back, uh, that's that's how he'll keep playing. And obviously, he's at his best, one of the best receivers in the league. But, uh, you know, you'll, you never know how, the, how, how he'll come back from a knee injury. I just... I get worried that the chemistry will take a long time to get to develop, and I want to say yes, but truth be told, I, I I like the core we have. I think Peoples Jones is really good, Schwartz look good, and and Higgins didn't even do anything, and he and Baker undoubtedly have a good chemistry, and then obviously Jarvis and Hooper are the guys we're gonna lean on. But you know, I, I want to see Odell back, and I want to see how that goes because it's it's gonna be a big telltale of what kind of team we have the potential to be. Because with him firing, it's it could be scary for the rest of the league. If we move over to um, Jacksonville, um, we look at, I've just been speaking to Ollie Hodgkinson um, regarding uh, the USC job, and we, we jokingly mentioned that a lot of Twitter was a buzz that after the performance of Urban on Sunday that he wouldn't want to stay there. But you wanted to talk about Urban's play calling and, and how concerned you were by it. Yeah, I mean, if you just look from his career he's obviously been one of the best college coaches of all time um but he's not a great developer of quarterbacks into an nfl quarterback he had alex smith at utah and he had a good career but if you look he has had dominant teams in college and not one of those qbs whether their first round picks or not has translated you got tebow jt barrett Dwayne haskins I'm, I'm sure i'm missing some guys but ironically the best guy he's probably had was cam newton and he got kicked off the team so he like i said he he really, you know, relied on a good run game, and he he had well coached teams. That's that's undeniable. But the quarterback development is not great, and when you have Trevor Lawrence throwing forty one times, it's concerning. Especially when you have I know ETN's out, but James Robinson I think is so undervalued. I mean, he had a thousand yards last year, and that's hard to do on a team that is always losing in a game. He did that. Mm -hmm. Plus, he was a valuable receiver, and. I looked at the stats. I didn't actually watch as much of the game as a lot going on, but just from a stats perspective, he only rushed five times, and he got 25 yards. It's not like he had five carries for, you know, six yards where I can see it. And as Carlos Hyde, who I think it's it's not uh, far-fetched to say is past his prime. Obviously, he was uh, there at Ohio State with Meyer, but he had more carries than, than Robinson. So that was something that really concerned me. And I think for him to get back to his winning ways or at least start it in the NFL he needs to ha be able to run the ball consistently I mean it's not going to get that much easier than Houston I know Houston looked good but Jacksonville obviously isn't that good and I think it also helped Lawrence I mean if he if defenses know he's going to pass the ball it's not going to make it a lot easier for a rookie quarterback so I just think despite the score he needs to try you know obviously in the fourth quarter if it gets out of hand you got to pass the ball but you need to try and stay patient and run the ball because it's he's not doing any part of his team any favors like that the way he called the game on Sunday is it is it difficult for someone like Urban I guess you know there's not a major track record of coaches being good in college then being good in the NFL there are some Pete Carroll uh, I guess is yeah. one of the main ones although he was I guess originally an NFL coach when he was with the Jets and the Patriots before he went over to USC. But I guess for someone like Urban who's moved to, you know, from someone who's perennially winning, you know, whether it be SECs or or mm -hmm. Big Tens to, to come into, let's be honest, one of the worst, he, worst franchises in the NFL, it's going to have yeah. to take some getting used to losing, which is something that he hasn't done regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... And and like you know, I like you said that Pete Carroll thing. I think one of the reasons he's able to transition so well, he is good of a coach. Is he seems a little more laid back and hands off. And got you know, you saw it with Saban in Miami, and now you're seeing what could look like a disaster in Jacksonville. Those coaches who bring that college mindset and you know have little you know, Urban Meyer has these hydration stations. That's 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 not going to fly at the pro level. So he's got to obviously become a little more accustomed. And I think over time he's going to maybe find his rhythm because you know urban meyer 
at the end of the day, he is a good football coach. It's just a matter of he can figure out the NFL game because it's, you know, you don't have a lot of time in the NFL. It's, no matter what your track record is, you have to win, and he's going to have a short window. And especially how, you know, the stories you're hearing from how irritated players already are, it's it, it can really get out of hand fast, I think, for him. Final question, Joe. Outside of you being glued to the TV watching um, the classic game of Texans versus Browns, which um, what other game will you be watching next week and expecting big things from? Well, as far as what I'm be watching, I'm always going to watch the the rest of the AFC North just because I'm I'm invested, obviously. Um, but there, you know, there week one is always so weird. You just you, you go in and you have a pretty clear-cut idea of who you think is going to be good and who's not, and then that, that just changes on a dime. I mean, Philadelphia looked really good to me, and that was very surprising. Um, I'm actually kind of – it may not be the marquee matchup, but I want to see uh, New England and um, the Jets. Dude. Both those rookies, I think New England's obviously got a better team, but Zach Wilson picked it up in the second half last week, and if I think he can build upon that, and Mac Jones can also do the same. We should have an interesting matchup. Like I said, I think New England's going to come out on top, but I want to see. That's the first matchup, I think, this year with two rookie starting quarterbacks, so that's always interesting to me. Fantastic, Joe. Well, thanks a lot for your time. We will let you get back to uh, West Texas in your afternoon, and we will speak to you again soon. Awesome. I appreciate it. And joining us finally on the Touchdown Review is the brilliant Thomas Willoughby from the touchdown.co.uk and all things Atlanta Falcons. Thomas, how are we? Yeah, not not too bad. Um, better after yesterday's debacle, but, um, well, day before's debacle. Yeah, after the weekend, it, it could have been a lot. You know what, I'm better. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm going to make you worse then, because I want to talk. I want to talk Falcons, and I want to talk Falcons in, in two senses: one in a Atlanta sense, and one in a Tennessee sense. Um, I was, I was expecting that performance to be the other way round on Sunday. I expected the Atlanta Falcons to be sharp. Um, and I expected the Philadelphia Eagles to stink. That may have been hope rather than expectation, but there you go. That's my Washington bias coming through. How concerned were you by how Arthur Smith and his Falcons played in their first game? I, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't. Um, incredibly, it was. I mean, it started excellently. Um, I don't. I don't know. Obviously, when you look at the score, you score six points over the course of four quarters. That's just that's just bad. Um, but the first two drives were everything that we thought we were going to be getting from Arthur Smith. It was a, a balanced offense, um, picking up chunk plays, running game was existing, um, which is more than could be said for the last few years for the Falcons. Um, and it just kind of fell apart. Two trips to the red zone and yet two field goals that's just not good enough and that's kind of what we brought him in for we had that last year and the year before with with Dirk Cutter and Arthur Smith kind of cut his teeth on red zone efficiency and it just didn't exist um, in week one that being said um, having come away from pre-season the most exciting thing about the Falcons pre-season was the the defence despite giving up 30 points a game we were quite excited about what it could be, and no one really paid attention to the fact that the offense in preseason was kind of dreadful. And that may have been—I mean, we, we kind of kidded ourselves that it was the the fact that it was AJ McCarron and Felipe Franks and Josh Rosen for a half, um, and the stars will come in and it'll be better. But that's kind of for what we were in preseason, and in hindsight, maybe this is—maybe that was a sign that this was to be expected. I think we all kind of bought into the the idea that we're going to be getting this ultra-efficient offense run by a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill and some incredibly versatile weapons and maybe even a run game, and we didn't stop to think that it might not be that just yet. Um, disappointing. And may, I know it's only week one, and we're trying to pump the brakes a little bit, but it's maybe something to think about moving forward that we may have got our expectations a little bit too high. Maybe. 
So, so I guess the the, the Atlanta Falcons was an, was an interesting one in terms of how they were portrayed in the off season because there's two ways that you can go in the position that Atlanta were in to and getting a new coach. You either bottom out or you just think you retool and go again. And they kind of got rid of Julio Jones, but had to keep Matt Ryan. And it, it looked like they didn't quite decide which way they were going to go on down that avenue. Do you think that if it goes, you know, to, spoiler alert, they're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next week, and that probably won't go very well. For the people who don't know, I know Thomas does. He's already <laughs> bought his, his mask not to watch it. But I guess my question is, how, when does it start being a situation where it might be, well, let's see what draft picks we can get and move forward into you know twenty twenty two and beyond. So the, the, the I, I don't quite know how online people are when it comes to Atlanta Falcons fans. How much it's um, the, the, b- before the season there was a bit of a civil war as to what direction they could go with the fourth overall pick. Um, you were in two camps. You were either quarterback or Carl Pitts, um, and that kind of spilled over into now where it's one week in we pick Carl Pitts but what are we going to do with him because Matt Ryan can't stay upright we should have started rebuilding that sort of stuff's already on um, the the new regime have come in and they've said all the things that you want to hear as a fan of a team that is only four years removed from their last playoff appearance last playoff win um which is we believe in what we've got at the moment and we don't think we're too far off from being that far back. You, as a fan, you want to hear that. The reality of the situation is the Falcons don't have any money. The Falcons are really talented, uh, talent bereft on defence. Um, and it's going to be like that for a little while. Um, I think, again, when, when a new regime comes, this is, uh, I've, I've been following this team now for over 10 years. Um, I've, this is the third head coach that we've had in, in my time as following the, the Falcons um, you buy into a new head coach as it's just going to be better than the last one it's got to be better than the last one kind of thing um, and I think we all kind of we all kind of sip the Kool-Aid a bit and we just need to back off a bit ultimately we, we, were four, we, we were fourth overall pick last season for a reason we are probably further than we think we are from being a contender again and it might be a bit of a tough season this year maybe a tough season for a, a tough couple of years I'm, I'm getting really depressed thinking about it because i don't want to go through it anymore <laughs> um, <laughs> um but it's just kind of like we've got to stick with it at the end of the day we're one week in the, the, the world's falling falling in after a week, um, as it's prone to do in sports, you, you don't win one week and it's the end of the world. Um, there were some bright sparks from that first week, uh, from that performance to take forward. So much bad to get rid of. It, it, it's one of those things where I thought we might be a, a 10 or 11 win team, and I'm probably adjusting that to seven or eight at this point. Um, we'll see. I can't speak for everyone. There are going to be some ultra. Uh, positive fans and there are going to be some extremely negative fans which has already happened um, but as, as as a Ben I just think that it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more difficult than we thought it would be based on week one obviously um, Thomas let's get away from um, drowning our sorrows in Atlanta Falcons uh, hellscapes um, as a Washington fan I know how you're feeling um, and I just want to let you have the opportunity to talk about this amazing article you wrote for touchdown.co.uk about the most bizarre rookie quarterback in NFL history. Can you give us a brief update and get people over to to have a read of it? Yeah, of course. So for the last um, couple of years, I've been doing these most bizarre blank in NFL history pieces where it's just a really strange story um, about a particular thing. Obviously, this this season, we've got five um, first-round rookie quarterbacks, um, all of which got a touchdown in some capacity this weekend by the way which is which is great um i, I love those stories um but this is a, a story of uh the 1985 los angeles rams who with eric dickerson and their team um one season removed from a playoff performance decided to go and get themselves a new quarterback um who was going to be playing his first ever nfl season at the age of 34 years old 
Um, and it's a really interesting story in it would never happen in modern day there's there's no way that somebody like that would would ultimately get the shot at starting for for an nfl team and they weren't too far from winning it all um spoiler alert um it didn't <laughs> but <laughs> um but it's uh it's, it's it was i thought it was really interesting um it's just a, a kind of a bit of a story of not really if if you don't if you don't get it immediately, he didn't get in the NFL coming out of college. He went to Canada and spent and had a, a career in Canada and just went one year in the NFL and 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 sort of did bits for a bit. He held every rookie record with the Rams for the longest time. Um, all of them have been sort of matched by now. But yeah, um, that's on obviously touchdown.co.uk along with everybody else's excellent stuff. I just do the, the silly bits. Um, but yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed writing it's, that one. It's it's great stuff, and you know, it's it's easy for everyone to talk all twenty twos and 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 X's and O's and stuff like that. But I, I have to say, I love the the uh, the stuff like 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 Thomas's stuff. Brilliant, brilliant work, and I, I highly recommend that you go and take a look at it. So before I let you go, Thomas, the last question I guess is um, outside of the fact that the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game is on, what or the game or storyline are you expecting to be reading or enjoying after week two? You know, I've, I've not really. Um, I've been I've been really odd with um, sports in general for the last few weeks. I, I couldn't even tell you who else is playing um, this coming weekend. I want to, but what I can tell you what I want to see, um, and that is Tua Tagovailoa have a really good game because I I put my reputation on the line last season by saying that he would ultimately have a better career than Joe Burrow. Um, and at the moment, it's... I mean, we're only, what, a year and a bit into mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. careers, so it's kind of, like, way too early to be getting... It, it, I'd like him to take over again in the way that we think he can. Um, I know that quite a lot of people are down on him. I'm still pretty high on him as a, as a, as a quarterback. Um that, that's what I want to see. Who have the Dolphins got this weekend? This is dreadful for somebody who writes for a... You've got Buffalo. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Maybe readjust. They're going to be out for blood. <laughs> no, no. I mean, they, they need to... They, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's in Miami, so, you know, maybe maybe the Buffalo Bills will melt in the, in the South Florida sun. So, yeah. Fantastic. That'd be a good game, to be fair. But in Buffalo, they they didn't have it all their but they they definitely didn't have it their own way on uh, on on Sunday. So that'll be a um a bit of a, a bit of revenge game for them, and hopefully that's something to something to to turn over to when when inevitably we're down halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> Fantastic, Thomas. Well, thanks a lot for your time, uh, and we will let you go, and we will speak to you Perfect. soon. Brilliant. Speak soon. And that is the first touchdown review show. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, please give us your feedback at the touchdown on Twitter. Um, as I said, please check out all the great writers, um, all the great stuff that's on touchdown.co.uk. Thanks a lot to all the guests this week, and um, we will see you again next week. Mm-hmm.